All right, let's get started. This is fun. So we let's today we are going to talk about the Q2 earnings call that happened yesterday. After hours, uh, the earnings um, call happened. Today, we saw the stock rise by 10%. It's now at $815. And what I'd like to have the discussion from all these various experts and um, folks today is, you know, what is it that caused it to go up so fast, right? Is it the blowout earnings per share, $2.18 versus the analyst expectations of $1.77, the $2.6 billion in profit that they reported, is it the um, guidance, as Jeffrey has been telling us, uh, sharing this with us several times now, that they said very clearly that they are still on track to the 50% year-over-year growth target, and they're expecting to end 2022 at 1.4 million uh, cars made. And Elon even said that by the end of the year, he sees a, what is it, a 2 million run rate um, by the end of quarter, so that means that he's expecting like forty, yeah, so forty thousand cars per week, which would be equivalent to two million run rate. So those are a variety of things. They've also talked about the fact that the supply chain issues may not be as um, they they didn't seem to be as concerned about it because of their long term contracts with the batteries. While forty six eighty is delayed, um, they're saying that they've they they seem to be well served by the 2170s and then just even little tidbits like fsd um on track still and um well we'll find out from the the folks here what they thought so let's go down one by one what is it that you thought that you heard yesterday that got you the most excited and why do you think the stock popped like today and what do you think that's going to head in in your future uh jeffrey i'd like to start with you because you were the one that's keep talking about the guidance is what matters what's your thoughts yeah, thanks, Herbert, and um, thanks, Ash, for hosting uh, this, and 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 uh, thanks for all the speakers as well. I, I mean, I, I, I I've been saying for a while it's, it comes down to the guide. I think Christian's been saying that yes. uh, as well. And, and I mean, you, you can't. There's a big difference in the way Tesla guided. I mean, they basically stuck to the fifty percent growth, but then you know, Elon, you know, mentioned you know the the target of not really he, he for. I think that the, for me, the big difference was it wasn't about installed capacity as it's about we have supply, like we have all the batteries we need. The supply chain is humming. I don't think they would say they have all the batteries we need and we're we're whacked on silicon. They wouldn't they wouldn't say they have everything they need if they didn't have everything that they need. So what was different about Tesla than any of the other auto OEMs, maybe outside of Rivian, who you know just reaffirmed their their guidance, although it's very small, it's only about a week's worth of Tesla production right now. But Ford, GM, they're they're giving on EV. They're giving capacity guidance. They're not giving supply guidance. Tesla gave supply guidance: forty thousand unit output, two point one million unit run rate, leaving the year, and not a big dependency on forty six eighty. So. I took that. I think. I think the market triggered off of that. Um, I think the market liked the move in Bitcoin, um, and um, and I think you know Elon really did a nice job delivering the opening script, not uh, drifting too much uh, throughout the call, 
and I thought the supporting cast on the call was was rock solid. So they had a good call. Uh, it, you know, it's one of those things where it kind of popped right away. The news media came out, you know, before uh, you know before the earnings call and told you every reason why the stock should be trading lower. You know, you know, a rev- the revenue guidance miss. If you look at the revenue guidance miss, and you and you take it in terms of cars. You know, it's like it's three thousand cars at fifty-five thousand unit ASP, and they make three thousand cars in eight hours. So I think you have to put these things into perspective. I think the revenue was fine, the growth trajectory. So they've got the growth trajectory. They're going to be nailing the peg ratio, and Christian's brought that up before. And it was really all about to me. It was all about the guidance. Thank you, Jeffrey. Let's talk about that Bitcoin again later. But I personally thought that it was overplayed by the media. I didn't think it matters really to anything. Um, be curious why you said that. Uh, Christian, let's go to you because uh, you predicted <laughs> two days ago you were going crazy. and You were like saying this is going to be a rock solid quarter. It's going to just take off and you you hit it dead on. What was your reaction when you saw the actual numbers yesterday? Yeah, uh, I loved it. Um, yeah, I agree with a lot with uh, Jeff just said. Um, good stuff. Basically, from a high level, what I saw and what my um, thought process was, because we talk about this every week, so right, so we're well versed in it. This was a classic, um, you know, sell the rumor, buy the news, right? We, leading up to this, we were in a, a bad macro market, and we Tesla had sold off. We knew Shanghai was shut down. Just a lot of negativity, and and the and that valuation come in. But my theory was going into the Q2 print, it was going to be what it was. And then the guidance, like Jeffrey said, and what we've been talking about would would be great. But here's the difference. Here's why I think this is important. Two things. They sold the Bitcoin, which made the numbers look really good. It was a good quarter for what it was, but it looked better on a gap and non-gap adjusted basis because of the sale of Bitcoin, because that would have hit the operating expenses a lot. And the fact that that wasn't there, it made the the gross margins came in line and the operating margins at 14 percent weren't that bad. And they were able to destroy the street's expectation, which in a bad Q2, everybody was looking for bad numbers on the bottom line. It looked really good. And that was a great move for them to do that selling Bitcoin. And I believe it was around a twenty nine thirty thousand. So that made the numbers look great. And then I agree. We talked about this yesterday. The conference call was concise. It was straightforward. It was well done. We had team members. They were jovial. They were talking about the future. They reiterated their 50% growth. And you put all that together and you had a great outcome as we saw the stock today. Institutional investors loved it because in a terrible quarter, they killed the numbers. And now we look forward to record Q3 and 4. And I think it's going to be, you know, rock solid. Thank you. So, Brian, in your My Tesla Weekend channel and you are the expert in uh, productions of these gigafactories you and i had talked about the various productions so very curious with you what you heard when he said forty thousand by week the giga shanghai the capacity of shanghai 750 fremont's 550 berlin it's going to be two over 250 and texas over 250 were you uh surprised or was this right on target what you were expecting it's right on target. It's got to, you know, there's so much 
<laughs> we've been seeing these factories go up. We know the capacity is going to be huge. And in order to get to the 1.4 million this year, they're going to need a run rate of 40,000 a week by the end of the year. But that just launches them into next year. And what we're seeing is we Tesla's been telling Wall Street for years we can execute, we can execute, and they just haven't believed them. And this quarter, I think, really showed them that the roadmap is real and attainable and that everything they've said is going to happen. Yep. In a down quarter with the challenge of COVID, supply chain, inflation, they still hit uh, profit profitability 14 point, what is it, 14 point something percent, 14.6 percent um operating margin, which is blows everything away. So, uh, Robert, uh, you are the eternal optimist. You've always been kind of like the cheerleader. Was there anything here that, you know, you were not happy about or there's oh. nothing? You always see things as positive, right? <laughs> no, I, I I didn't hear any. I, I agree with other talk uh, speakers. I mean, there's two things that get me excited about Tesla as an investor. Yeah. One is manufacturing costs. And Tesla, because of the casting machine, which Elon talked about yesterday, is able to build vehicles for less cost. That hasn't really come through to the retail level, right? That machine is really important. And nobody else can do it yet. And the second thing is AI. And uh, he's even increasing my expectations of AI Day coming in September yesterday. He was like, the market has no clue how what we're about to announce. So <laughs> that tells me some they're getting further than I'm expecting. Therefore, the market needs to put more effort on understanding what's going on there because that's a big deal for Tesla. Nice. Okay, so uh, Chuck, FSD. Uh, so he said two things, right? He said that FSD, we're gonna, it's on track, and it's gonna, we're gonna increase the price when it goes um, wide release. It's now twelve thousand dollars, and it'll probably go up higher than that. I, when I read that, I felt like, okay, that's pretty bullish. It sounds like it's end of July. He still is continuing to say that FSD will go wide release. Omar has said a few times though that you know theoretically you can turn on wide release today. So it's not it's not we're not saying Robotax or anything like that, but just that you know he's gonna roll out a wide release. But the fact that he's gonna raise the prices again and again shows that he believes that the value keeps going up. And does that change your opinion? I know last time you said, yeah, it doesn't matter. It's not Robotax is not coming, but <laughs> what, what did well, you do here? <laughs> yeah, I, actually, I'm, I, a couple of points before I jump into the FSD, just to comment on the other yeah, things. Please. I'm really, really curious if anybody's calculated the sale of Bitcoin approximating that date in May that the big drop happened. Just curious if, if that's even derivable from, oh. from the math, because it looks like it was in May and there's a huge drop. And I wonder if selling all that or if it happened all at once. Anyways, the other, other thing, I wanted to mention is that I think the comment he made on the Silicon Valley uh, interview at Austin about the cash burning machines mm -hmm. was priced in but overblown because it was an off the cuff comment. I mean, a cash burning machine, yeah, we kind of knew that. And I think everybody took that as a, oh, he just leaked something when it really wasn't. He was just talking off the cuff. Two points on the, on the stock there uh, because I think ultimately there are costs, but they weren't overblown. FSD. He said exactly what I thought he would have said, but I think pe some people heard what they wanted to hear. That's you me. just said RoboTaxi. He did not say RoboTaxi. I know. <laughs> he said release FSD by the end of the year. And just like Omar has said, they could release it this year. 
his uh, Tesla has a history of leaving things in beta forever, but once they're comfortable, they can get there. The safety score hurdle was a NHTSA filter to let them believe, listen, we're being responsible. We're, we're rolling this out in a, in a certain manner. If they have 100,000 people and 35 million miles, they probably have the numbers to say, yeah, it's a little bit risky, but nobody's getting hurt. So I think we're going to be okay to put it in that. If you paid for it, you now have a slider. You're going to get a download, but it's going to be in beta mode. And you're going to have to accept all of the risks just like we do today. I think that is what is now probably going to happen by the end of the year. That is not robo. Now back to the $12,000 going up. I have a strong feelings about this, and it's basically because of my experience at JetBlue, where I believe Tesla has missed an opportunity to make autonomy part of their brand for the consumer. Hmm. And you get what you, it's part of their brand. You know, my son wants a Tesla as soon as he's old enough to afford one. But if, if you know, there is a $25,000 car one day, but FSD is 15000 that's just, you know, one third the price of the car when he's never going to sell it as a robo taxi kind of thing. I think if they're going to up the price much more or even take it down for an enterprise level, you know, New York medallion style tool to where you get an app to, to monetize. Yeah, charge whatever you want. Charge $100,000 for that monetization app if you think that's what it's worth. But to the average consumer that just wants these features, in my mind, they ought to build it into the brand a little bit like JetBlue gives away Wi-Fi for free. It costs us something, but it's a cost invested in the brand that when you fly JetBlue, you know you got free internet. I think that may have been a missed opportunity here, but okay. that let, ship may have sailed. Let, let, well, let's have Robert explain, uh, t tell us what his thoughts are on that. He's, he's pretty good about branding and uh, what, the, what the community I, is thinking about AI and which companies are leading. I was trying to decide, am I going to fight or am I going to agree? Yeah, <laughs> you can I, go either way. Yeah, I think I, mostly I agree because I, I I think Tesla does have an opportunity here to separate its brand from others with autonomy. Um, once the autonomy gets here, the the whole model changes. So I, I, I get why they're charging for it, too. It's a hard one. Uh, Jeffrey and, and Brian, do you guys know how much revenue recognition the FSD is actually going to impact if they start recognizing it in the end of the year? Is this like less than a billion dollars? Is it significant? I don't have an answer on that one. I don't either. Um, so I, I, I think we have to look at the uptake and, and see. Um, but I don't, have a, I don't have a direct answer right now. Okay, well let's let's move on to the big topic. I guess. The, I yep. The, the the one point on on charging for it, it does tell the market it has value. Right. And they're spending a lot on their data center uh, and on their AI technology. So, you know, having the revenue from that to to offset the costs up front is probably smart as well. And I think, Chuck, that they're going to move to a subscription model so the consumers will be able to afford this. This is to, you know, to give a sense of the value of this technology and continue to raise it to, to just, they, they don't want anybody to pay for this anymore in the future. They're not going to pay one time. It's going to become a, you know, eat as you go kind of model. So yeah. I hear you. I just think that if, if FSD has a flat fee, yet they're going to try to enter a lower cost model they're going to find themselves with the flat fee is such a large percentage of the total cost that it doesn't make sense on their low-end cars. Yeah, that's what I'm just saying. I don't think you're going to sell the low-end cars to consumers anymore. It's going to be to fleet managers, and consumers are just going to be Ubering it around, right? Right, Sharon? The, the brand thing also, it, 
when when we get robo taxi people start thinking of transportation differently and that's when they're going to really recognize uh, tesla's advantages on, on autonomy right so th they're going to have a second chance i think chuck to come back at, at the branding thing that's a good point i i, I just I, I i really really believe that tesla is pricing out a very large demographic um, that that can't afford it, and I, and I know a lot of these people. And I, you know, taking it even higher, um, I, I just I want to remember that this is a first world problem, and yeah. you know, there are people that I think could benefit from it that won't be able to at, if it goes much higher, and even as high as it is in some cases. Okay. I agree. I, it should be a feature that should be affordable. It's going to save a lot of lives. Okay, I want to talk about the 4680 battery. Uh, we, we've mentioned in the last calls that 4680 ramp and its impact on Giga Berlin and Texas is the top concern that the entire you know panel had at the time to, to you know, what is it, a week ago. So what we heard this time, I heard two conflicting kind of comments about this, right? On one hand, they said, hey, we're making great progress on 4680. We're going to see a thousand per week by the end of the year. Uh, we, 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 you know, we've, we kind of made, simplified it so that we can produce it. And then we'll add in some more, you know, the goodies to really make it more optimized later. Um, they seem to have a good hold of that. On the other side, they said, well, we're not going to be, let's not worry about 4680s this year because we're going to just leverage our 2170s to ramp up Giga Berlin and Texas. And 4680s, you guys should be thinking about that for next year. Um, what are the speakers here? What do you guys think about the 4680 versus 2170? Let's start with you first, uh, Brian, and then let's open up to anybody who wants to comment. Um, so the 4680 is a big deal. Again, it's not quite ready. and uh, it's okay because we've got everything else we can still use. Uh, BYD is going to be providing additional cells in Shanghai in addition to the CATL cells. Those aren't even cylindrical as far as we know. Uh, Tesla can use anything, and I think the market is starting to recognize that. Now, when the 4680 does come, the economies of scale are going to make a big deal uh, in terms of price reductions, but really it's going to be just the speed of them, the efficiency, and like Elon said, there's a lot of headroom still in the design efficiency of the structural battery pack. The 4680s are absolutely game changers. They're just taking forever to come online, and we know that uh, Panasonic is setting up a 4680 line in Kansas for $4 billion. We know LG uh, has a 4680 line that they're working on, and Samsung is also make it, going to be making 4680s. So it is the form factor of the future for Tesla. Are, are, can you comment a little bit um, that, or, or I was really excited when I heard that the dry electrode anode and cathode are included in the current 4680 process. You explained to me last week that uh, instead of wet anode cathode, it's dry ca anode and cathode, and that is revolutionary, and that's going to make all the difference. And so what was your thoughts that you heard that they said that's still in the current process? It, yeah, it in the short term, it doesn't matter. In the short term, if they're waiting for perfection, like you said, you're going to wait forever. Um, but uh, being able to mix and match a wet with a dry, which is what... Uh, Jordan Giesecke was able to see with the breakdown done in San Diego. Uh, they they can they can make anything work, and I think part of the 
big jump in the stock is the analysts are starting to realize Tesla doesn't have to execute perfectly every time to win big. Anybody else have a comment on the 4680-2170? Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously I'm, I'm a huge Tesla bull, but I'm, I'm keen to play devil's advocate here a bit just because, like, you know, I think all of us in the Tesla community, like, sometimes fall into the trap of, of kind of, like, getting super bullish all the time. I mean, we do have to think about the fact that Elon, you know, he has Elon time and we have to take things that he says with a grain of salt. I mean, you know, for many years, he's he's promised certain things that haven't come on a certain timeline. And here we are again in the same situation. You know, they were aiming for 100 gigawatt hours by the end of this year. And it's looking like, you know, at best, they'll get four gigawatt hours. You know, that's that is a huge miss. Um, and you're right. You know, the, it's not going to the company's not going to live and die on it. But if this drags on into next year, it could significantly hurt growth, um, you know, to, to some extent. Uh, and we'll find out what that extent will be. But it's something we have to keep an eye on, um, you know, as Tesla investors and, and something that could be a headwind. Because, you know, the Model 3 had really bad, really difficult um, ramping problems. Uh, and this is another technology that could have ramping problems that could significantly harm the business. Just like the business was significantly harmed for a while with uh, Model Three issues until they actually figured it out and sorted it out. Um, so it's it's something to look at, and you know, you know, Elon does have his blind spots. I mean, he's he's talked about you know lithium mining being easy, and and that's to my view and my research just plain wrong. So you know, there's certainly things to navigate here. I mean, obviously, long term, uh, I'm very bullish on Tesla, and I'm I'm very bullish on the 4680s eventually once they do finally sort this out. But it it could be an issue, so we have to you know keep on top of that. I think. Yeah, I've been bringing this up on, I agree with that. I, this is the one thing that bears me up on Tesla is the execution. I had, a, I had a question and say that they were just about to get to, but then they said they kind of answered it in the prior questions on the 4680, which was when, when's the crossover date? When does supply output equal your target and your original target? The one you gave us in 2020, where it was going to be in, you know, full mass production volumes by the end of 2022. So I can't imagine that if they're going to be at 40,000 cars output per week by the end of 2022, that their plan was to have, I think, only two, two or 3,000 of that being 4680. I can't imagine, you know, that was the plan. Uh, I would have to think that that would be higher, maybe a quarter of that or more. Um, just to build ahead, not only build ahead, but ship semis and build ahead for a Cybertruck, which originally, again, was supposed to be shipping, you know, this year. Um, which, you know, anyway, so, wait, so are, wait, wait, are you saying that you're still concerned that maybe Cybertruck will, they, they confirmed it's going to be on tack, but you're saying that if 4680 is only a thousand per week by the end of the year, and they're producing 40,000 per week of other cars, that Cybertruck might be, are you, are you thinking that it might be impacted? Well, yeah, I mean, anything that would wow. take the eighties, um, you know, could be impacted. So we, we've got to, I mean, as investors, and this is one thing that, to watch uh, very closely. Um, again, you know, if they're at, if they meet their targets by the end of the year, well, then they could build ahead for 4680s, uh, but then they're not going to ship a lot of semis. But I think, sorry, they could build ahead for Cybertruck and maybe not ship a lot of semis. But yeah, I think this is, this is one critical thing we've got to keep an eye on. The other thing I think, speaking as a, supply chain professional that is in Tesla's favor here is all of these vendors that are ramping up like BYD and so forth to get us, you know, more on the current platform in the 2170. They know that shipping to Tesla means that their batteries are going to be pulled out of inventory. 
converted into packs and sold as cars. Very low cash conversion cycle. Tesla is going to take everything they can get. The other OEMs still are struggling with silicon and other matched sets of components. They have very deep and high-layered supply chains. And they can't be as certain that when they ship batteries to them, even though they'll make supply agreements with them, at the end of the day, when things are in allocation, Tesla, I think, is going to get a lot of allocation because they've just shown a propensity to execute and grow volume. And, did you uh, and, see I, that? and actually, real quick, uh, Herbert, I would disagree a little bit because uh, the third-party uh, manufacturers, Samsung, LG, um, and... Uh, uh, the other one I said, uh, they're all, they all started their pilot lines at the beginning of this year, uh, meaning those companies are absolutely capable and competent in batteries. I believe they can get their production ramped by the middle of 23. 4680? Abs absolutely, yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I, didn't we hear Elon or somebody say that they feel confident or they're working very closely with their battery suppliers um and, and they gave a pretty good feeling that they're they're going to be fine with batteries that was my impression and and then what about you jeff would you jeffrey would you think i i just think <clears throat> the lowest cost approach is to start and end that process in austin and, and convert it into cyber truck so if they're buying from Samsung and LG, I believe, uh, great. I mean, that could be a good supply continuity option. And I totally agree that they have more experience. Um, but this is a new process for them, too. Uh, I just say that the, 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 the cost structure could be higher and it could weigh on margins. So anyway, uh, I, I'm, I, I think 4680s are a very important thing to watch if you're a Tesla bull. Is there any chance that they might create 2170 variants of Cybertruck or just not possible? I don't think so. I mean, I, th and I think the architecture of that car is, you know, is derived off of being on a 4680 platform, whereas, you know, Model Y was designed as a 2170 vehicle, and then they've been converting it to 4680. Um, so I think they want to get 4680s ramped, and they want to get Model Ys ramped, and they want to get this process worked out, and they want to get it into a high-volume product line because that fills factories. When you fill factories, and you get that's when you get your best cost structure, when you're bringing up Cybertruck and you're bringing up a new battery platform, you know that's where you can run into the problem. So I think they, they really wanted to get the sequence right and get 4680s going on Model Y and get that ramped up uh, and then and, and have a good kind of running start for Cybertruck. I think that's, that's ultimately what they want. Okay. Well, uh, just quickly go back to Bitcoin. Christian, can you explain a little bit to us? Um... You, yeah, the, all the questions that people are talking about Bitcoin, and I guess yeah. people are thinking it was real. It was a serious, it was a good thing because I think it it delivered nine hundred and thirty something million dollars of cash. To them. yeah, I can try to explain it. It's kind of complicated, yeah. but I'll try to I'll try to just dumb it down. Yeah. So <laughs> this is kind of really important for sentiment. So even though you know it's a trivial thing long term for sentiment, like today's up 10%, that would not have happened if they did not sell Bitcoin. I'll, I'll tell you why. Hmm. They sold three quarters of their Bitcoin. So they, they took the impairment on what was left and was probably, you know, maybe 50 to 100 million of the, of the little bit they have left. Very insignificant now. And I think, yeah, a, a, a speaker mentioned the Wall Street uh, likes that. And I agree. And they don't need to be day trading Bitcoin. It just diverts away from the business. But the reason that sale of Bitcoin, I think it was around 29 to 30,000. That was their carrying cost 
So I think it pretty much was a net even. If they would have held all that Bitcoin on the balance sheet, that would have went right down to their operating expenses and it would have made the margins look terrible and the gap and non-gap would have also come down. And, it, you know, it would have been uh, not not look like it did look. So that was a very strategic move by management to do that because the, the media could have ran with that and they would have said, oh, the margins are, are this and that. And, and they didn't meet the numbers. And it would have been a it could have been a down 10 percent day. So it was very important that I don't know if it was Zach or Elon, someone made the call to sell three quarters of their Bitcoin. And that prevented a huge operating loss because they would have had to book all that loss at to that 17th. I think Bitcoin low was 17,000. They would have had to take that three quarters that they sold and they would have had to write all that down too to that to that level. So I think they sold it around 2930. They would have had to write it down to 17,000. It would have been a disaster. Gotcha. So that was huge that they did it. It made the quarter. Nice. Okay, I'm going to be a little cheeky, guys. I'm going to ask everybody a question. <laughs> Just answer in your mind for a second, okay? What do you think is the number one uh, differentiator for Tesla? What is it that they say is the thing that's going to make them win from anyone else? Okay. Experience. Mm. No, no, no. I keep hearing this from owners over and over the experience ah, of owning a Tesla, of being in a Tesla, of driving a Tesla or having a Tesla drive you is top rate. OK, no. So my the answer is supposed to be manufacturing. Right. So uh, he's yeah, it's a te- uh, Elon uh, always yeah, says that, words, it's a test on how carefully we were listening yesterday. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> He says that uh, we're actually, uh, you know, the factory is our product and, the, you know, uh, how fast we create that. So I just want to ask the group here what they thought about that. And is are they showing that they are able to have now four gigafactories and yet they're only primarily producing from two? Do we think that the stock has now, after the 10% jump, taken uh, kind of a view that, okay, I, I can now map out the next two uh, gigafactories and how incredibly proficient they are. And that's why they're able to still produce these operating margins at this high. Or do you think that they still are kind of blind to that? And, you know, we're just looking at straight numbers. I think they've priced some of that in or much of it, but there's still upside to be had because the way uh, Tesla manufactures cars does lead to a better experience for the customer, but also lets them build things on a shorter line, which means they can build more of them and cheaper. Yeah. I, I think we hadn't even mentioned the seatbelt thing that was mentioned yesterday. Yes. Yeah. And the and the OTA update of something as significant as that, I, mm-hmm. I think could be just, oh, that's Tesla. But to everyone else, I bet VW and Mercedes and all these other companies are going like, damn. How do you compete with that? Why don't you Why don't you explain that in a little bit more detail, so if everybody understands why this is such a big example of an incredible value problem? Because they have all the parts and they have the capable of OTA software updates, they implemented a vision enabled safety feature that if an impending collision is detected, they can pre tension the seatbelts, which saves about three to five uh, half a second to a third of a second. Uh, pre-impact to keep you tighter in the vehicle if your seatbelt had been looser. So it's just an enhanced safety feature that because vision can see an accident when it's imminent before accelerometers feel it in the normal car, they just enhance safety by about a third to a half of a second. Um, And they just turned it on. 
which yeah. is the, the feature that I'm talking about as the secret sauce there. You know, anybody can build something like that, but to just think of it and then turn it on because you have the infrastructure in place, uh, I think there will be more of those as, as uh, the product continues to evolve. Yeah, totally agree. I interviewed Ford's head of safety years ago, mm-hmm. and he told me that into crashes, so they instrumented a bunch of fleet vehicles, and into crashes, 80% of humans had not applied full braking pressure, <laughs> and you're about to hit a tree. Mm-hmm. So now the cameras on the front of the Tesla are able to see you're about to hit a tree and start firing things before your car even hits the tree. It's a fucking amazing. It's science yeah. fiction. Ash, you're a software developer. What's your thought on this? And and then I also have another question on this is why don't they just automatically prevent me from hitting the tree in the first place? Why haven't they turned that on yet? The tree is a bad one because it probably wouldn't hit a tree. But let's say somebody ran a red light in front of you and the car just could not avoid hitting that car. There, it still would be able to sense a few, you know, milliseconds before it gets hit that something bad is about to happen and it could start doing all sorts of things. I'm like thinking on your seatbelts. Maybe with this intelligent seatbelt tensioning that's in place, they could now say, if you decide to toggle this on, you can basically say, don't let this car ever hit anything. Don't let it hit my garage. Don't hit my basketball pole. Don't hit another car. Just stop it and I'll take the hit. But um, Ash, what's your thoughts on this feature? Well, do you need FSD for that? I mean, at what point is the car preventing these accidents uh FSD being activated temporarily in some like shadow fashion or it it, it always is going to be driving shadow it is yeah, yeah. I, this is not FSD this is a safety feature that they're rolling yeah. out it's a piece of the technology that that's sensing the road ahead right yeah but i mean if you're not paying for FSD it never is given the opportunity to do anything, anything to do with safety, be... they're going to just roll it out for free to everything. This is not part they of it. They should, yeah. yeah. They will, yeah. yeah. Like in an ideal it's... world, if we're talking about just pushing out safety features like this, I think that having FSD given the ability to uh, intervene whenever necessary. Um, but I also worry about like now phantom seatbelt lockings. Um, or things like that. <laughs> I used to, I had a, a, a Toyota Prius that tugged on the seatbelts like this. Mm-hmm. You know, it just makes them snug. It does, it's not going to kill you or anything. <laughs> the great thing that uh, the Cybertruckers make is give a new technology for so many service tools. I see here in Brazil some patent that I has worked for a great truck for produce. Lama asphalt for highways and one technology that need to stay together, Tesla, because Tesla is the best for give their sport for becoming more better. One way that they have so great knowledge for produce for highways, but now have the great ones for making the service or more ship cost for the produce the highway. This machine that I has made patent here give for the factory eight times more great the production and the investment back for the factory, really. And this is good for Tesla. Think about this because mm. I have seen two in Turkey and one factory that I has worked there 
in the one great city from so many machines one time together with others place for the Turkai production, Pimakina, that I has take invite for represent their here because I give support for the children that stay there in arms and that they want to play football in Brazil. And with this, like I'm engineer, they give me this, but it's so big and I have great concurrence here. But uh, this is a older story. What <laughs> I want to say just is that uh, it's possible. We think they've given this great technology that Tesla have for Others way for have more money for Tesla. Just yeah. this, I want to say thank yeah. you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So in the improved manufacturing process in Berlin and Texas, they Texas they said that they can reduce the body welding robot count by seventy yes. percent per unit of capacity. The body shop yes. is three times smaller than needed. Uh, thoughts from the panel on that? It's fantastic because when we see this possibility for work together, when two technology, everyone have your part in the investment and become a more great. Thank you very much. Uh, my thought on it is that uh, is that the uh, Herbert Deese was saying, uh, guys, Tesla's moving so fast. We're moving too slow. We need to increase the speed of our production line. And then uh, Giga Berlin was taken offline to increase capacity, to increase throughput. So it's a moving target, and the competitors can see it, and they realize they may be in trouble. It's the casting machine that's going to cause them the nightmares. The, the other manufacturers, when you visit their factories, builds things on a long assembly line because they build things on a rail and things go on top of the rail. The Cybertruck is almost like 3D printed in a, in a casting machine. The front, the back, the b bottom it comes from the battery factory. The casting machine lets them manufacture on a short line. That means they can have more lines in each factory. That means they can make more trucks faster, cheaper. This is going to cause nightmares for the others uh, because yeah. they just can't yeah. change this way. So, you know, so Warren, uh, isn't Indigra an Italian company that's independent and couldn't? I've heard other people say that, well, all the other auto manufacturers can just license the the, the castings from them as well. The al you have to have the special alloy that comes from a material science team at SpaceX. That's why Tesla was Ooh. able to do this. The other car companies don't have material scientists. Oh, I didn't know this. Warren, did you know this? <laughs> well, that's true. Yes. No, I, I did know that. And also, um, wow. I think there's the other challenge that the other car companies would have to modify their manufacturing methods, and they don't like doing that. No, because one of the advantages, like the Ford F-150, one of the advantages of building on a rail is it's more customizable, and that represents a huge amount of truck sales in America. The ability to take the bed off and put a tow hitch or whatever the fuck you want on the back of that truck is really a big deal. My brother-in-law runs a glass business and has a Ford F-150 with a glass, with a, a special truck for glass, right? Um you will not want to do that with a Cybertruck. You, you don't want to cut across, cut apart the Cybertruck. It's an exoskeleton. And it's stronger. The Cybertruck is going to win in every other way. 
other than customization. But Ford is not willing to give up the what's the market share of custom, you know, Ford trucks that sell that need to be customized. You know, it's a pretty high number. It's probably 20%. It's probably, like not, that, right? it's probably not 50. I mean, a lot of people just buy the trucks to have them and drive them around. Yeah. yeah. And they, they also have their entire, I mean, when you visit their factory, it's huge. It takes three days for a truck to go from the beginning of the line to the end of the line. And they spit out a, one every 60 seconds. It's an impressive facility to go visit, particularly if you go visit the one of the Tesla facilities, you know. Okay. The thing so is, we that have they, uh, so Gordon Warren. Yeah, just, yeah. They, they have they have their way of manufacturing that they've been doing for years, and it's like institutionalized. This is the way we do things. And if you've ever been a lawyer, you go to court and you say, "Judge, we should do this." You say, "No, this is how we do things here." That one of the, it's one of the most basic principles of life is that the, the the number one rule, the highest law of the land, is this is how we do things here. Yeah. And to get to get a um, an OEM to change the way they manufacture is it's like a huge lift. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So we have uh, Warren joined, Ryan from the kilowatts, and Earl. Uh, so we're just talking about the earnings call from yesterday. We're partying with partying with the ten percent rise today. What do you think caused the rise today? What was the big takeaway? And are you excited about the future? What was the key points that you excited? Warren, why don't we start with you? Then we'll go go with Ryan and then Earl. Well, I don't I don't worry about short term stock price movements. It, it goes up, it goes down. I don't really care. The thing that I took away most from the earnings call was the um, when Zach said that they're still aiming for 50% growth. Yes. If you do the math, they've produced, I think, 560,000 vehicles in the first two quarters, and they need to get to 1.4 million to get 50% growth from 936,000. Yes. So I think that means 860,000 vehicles in the last two quarters. And I don't think that's that much of a reach because if you start at 30,000 a week, then you get uh, 390,000 in Q3 plus you'll grow some in, in Q3 and then you just have to get to 440,000 in Q4. So I think they're probably going to beat 1.4 million. Yeah, I think the the actual numbers I think is the first half was 564,000. The second half they need to get 856 in order to get 1.4. But yes, they're as close as what you were saying. Yeah. I like what Warren's saying. I'm uh, with him on a lot of those things. I, I think like I am, you know, momentarily excited for the short term. Like it's nice <laughs> to see that kind of pop, but I, uh, I, you know, I think it's important to think long term. And you know, the, the, this 10% is going to be, you know, just as likely washed away over the next two days as it came in. So uh, you know, I'm, I'm less worried about some of that, but I'm also m- minorly excited by that. Um, but then, yeah, I, I, the similarly, I've got my own little concern though. Uh, hearing that they are kind of lower uh, production than expected, in fact, maybe, and someone can correct me if I heard wrong, but maybe not even producing 4680 Model Ys anymore out of Giga Texas and just doing 2170 yes. Model Ys, yeah. uh, that to me is actually like, you know, it, it, overall, if you, if you, the backwards looking statements are all positive. The forward looking statements are more cautionary. So that that's how I took the call. I didn't hear them saying they weren't making 4680s. I think they're just making them in very low volume. Yeah, they're going to shoot for a thousand 4680s per week um, by the end of the year. Yes, but are they, I guess the, the nuance that I'm I'm being way too narrow on is are they currently making 4680 um, model wise? And I, you know the, the way that I got to that conclusion that they may not be currently making 4680 model wise out of Texas. Mm was the fact that they said, 
were currently making 2170s out of Texas, and they didn't say anything about 4680s with that comment. So I'm probably reading into it too far, especially to get to 1,000, but it's also possible it's like a short-term shutdown, and that's why there was that nuance. But whatever it was, that kind of surprised me, especially uh, you know, given they did already sell several hundred, but I've not uh, heard much more than those. Well, with, with Cato Road ramping 4680 cell production growing, what was it, 35% a month? Or was it a week? I think they're growing 35% a month. Then they're getting more and more 4680 cells out of Cato Road. They got to go somewhere. Yeah, well, and that, that, and I think that the obvious conclusion would be like, I'm probably wrong here, but it's also possible that maybe they did stop and maybe they're putting 4680s into some battery pack prototypes that they're rolling. I don't know. I'm, I'm being a bit, uh, you know, uh, exaggerative there. I'm, again, more cautionary looking to the future. That's one area that I'm maybe a little bit cautionary. A thousand per week by the end of the year is good. I think that the, the Model Y with 4680s is great. Um, but I'm just there looking forward. There was a few things I was like, if you want to read this in the negative light, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's easier to, than it has been historically. So I, I was a little bit surprised by the 10% bump only because again, looking backwards at the numbers, I don't think any of us were surprised by their delivery numbers. I don't think any of us were surprised by their margins. Um, and so that, that's why I'm surprised, you know, the market is often wrong. And I think that is basically what we're seeing is the market didn't see what we all saw. Um, but looking forward, I'm just a little bit cautious, but, but by the way, cautious on like how much growth rather than just like, you know, gangbusters growth, which they are going to have. While we're talking about 4680 model Y, Ryan, you were invoked. I don't know if you realize that you were invoked in a question and I thought Drew answered the question. Ah, the question. yes, I was by one of the, uh, by one of the major investors. I thank you for noticing that. The question was whether 4680 model Y whether they're holding that there was part it was a it was a complex question but one of the questions is are they holding back or are they soft did their software lock range on the 4680 model y and drew said we're not holding back or something like that i think drew answered the question no but i didn't feel like it was direct it was clear that that was what he was answering did yeah you, did you hear that yeah, I, I think that, yeah, basically they said, like, you know, they, they rephrased the question to make it something they could answer. And my guess is that, like, if they're holding back on anything, it's so minor that they don't see it as uh, material. Um, but that's what I'm trying to explore. I'm actually right now in a parking garage and about to go take my 4680 Model Y. And now that it's registered in California, I'm going to go supercharge it from zero to full and, and, and kind of get updated numbers on some of that. But my guess is, like, I, I I believe my range might be you know three percent capped, nothing material, and that might be what basically what answers Drew's question honestly, while still meaning that there is something left over because it I wasn't acceleration limited as I approached zero percent. In fact, I went three miles past zero and then finally started to get acceleration limited. That is something I haven't seen except for one time, and this is where the nuance is. When I very first got my Model 3 back in 2017, I had one of the first ones. And they hadn't applied the software to limit your acceleration. It wasn't even battery limited at that stage. So I, it's, it's hard to know whether it's software or hardware, even if it is slightly less limited than the 2170 cars. Thank you. Did, did your cars <laughs> drive off? What was that? <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just going to parking garage switching cars. Oh, okay. Self-driving has come does, a long way. Does your new car have the casting on both sides, on front and back, or just in the back? 
definitely in the front. And you'll see that in the video I released tomorrow. I'm just finishing oh, awesome. up that uh, filming and editing that video today. How, how do you guys know this? We watch uh, all the blogs all day long. <laughs> no, but how do you know if something has a casting? Do you look underneath? What, oh, are, what are you doing? You, uh, you're taking a hammer and you're... <laughs> no, no, you can actually see the difference. Uh, they have videos of, of some of the vehicles with casting on it. It yeah, looks different than, uh, than the older style. Can I ask a different question about the Q2 earnings? Mm -hmm. One of the numbers that surprised me was the revenue number, the automotive revenue and total revenue number. And what I, I actually predicted higher than, than I would have predicted because I thought there'd be some increases, but they actually had more automotive revenue and more other revenue than I expected. The automotive revenue was, I predicted 13.3 billion and it was like 14.6 billion maybe. And then the other revenue was 2.3 billion when I was predicting 2.1 and the, the highest in the past was 1.9 billion. So I think the, the, the automotive revenues, just prices went up. Um, so they, the, the revenue was higher than I expected because the prices must have gone up more than I expected. Well, the, the, the automotive frame. gross margin was just right on target to what we were all expecting. No, so but that I'm just, was not but, a blow. But if the but if the revenue numbers are higher, then your gross margin can be lower. You still make more profits in total. But then there's this other revenue, and they uh, mm -hmm. for three quarters in a row they had 1.7 billion in other revenue. You know, the auto total revenue minus auto revenue was 1.7 billion. Then last quarter it was 1.9 billion. It jumped to 2.3 billion this quarter. I think some of that's energy storage was was larger yes. deployment. Um, yeah. I think that um, supercharger revenue is starting to become significant. Uh, but I'm curious what other people think, where all this revenue is coming from. You're, you make a good point, Warren. The energy business did better and they had a positive margin. The last couple quarters, it's been negative and their services also positive margin. So that came through where you haven't seen it. So I think that's where the discrepancy is. And that also helped offset the declining gross margins in the auto business by having the positive margins in the energy and the service. It kind of offset it a little bit. So you're making a good point. What, what well, I'm, I'm not hang on. I'm not going to margin yet. I'm just talking about revenue because the margin issue to me, I think the margin issue can be explained just by the fact if you scale revenue, then some of the costs are fixed costs, some of the costs are operating costs, and you end up getting more margin just because your fixed costs become a smaller share of it. But I, I just, you know, where, you know, they went from 1.7 billion in revenue, three quarters in a row, 1.9 billion other revenue, all of a sudden 2.3 billion. Some of that's obviously Megapack or Powerwall because energy storage was up. But, you know, services you asked about, I think supercharging is starting to become a significant piece of revenue. Do other people think that? Yeah, that's what I was saying. Solar deployment was better. Um, battery storage was better. Um, services was more. I mean, you, you could specifically say which, but th the overall categories went up. And the reason I'm saying the margin piece of it, the operating margin, even though it's still a small piece, it was positive this time. If you look back the last few quarters, energy has been negative margins. Services have been pretty much negative. They actually came through positive. A, a nice positive, maybe about 10%, which ha helped the overall operations. But I'm agreeing with you. I think those things are starting to come through now. I mean, I, just look around Silicon Valley and uh, you're seeing Tesla solar roofs showing up. Tesla solar batteries are showing up. A friend of mine just got one. Are those included? A lot of people are getting 50 amp lines into their house. Uh, and putting a Tesla charger that costs 500 bucks. How many are those are they selling? I don't know. Uh, you know, and, and how much 
extra a month are we seeing on um, the supercharger network? I, I'm I'm certain it's going up because I see a lot of crowds at superchargers. Uh, Earl, did you you haven't had a chance to give us your uh, um, observation of what happened yesterday? Hey, yeah, thanks. Um, oh, what a crew. Hello, Warren. I see Chuck with his famous left turn is here, value <laughs> analyst. What a what a what an amazing crew. It's nice to be here. Um, I think, uh, of course, as the psychologist in the crew, I just think that this pop today is really just a change in sentiment and expectations. Um, anybody critical of Tesla was super bearish on Q2 financials, and even the bulls were pretty bearish on Q2 financials that, hey, we're going to survive this, and then Q3 and 4 will be better, you know? So I think the overall sentiment was pretty low. And then for them to come in with the beat, um, you, you just saw that whiplash. And I think as Gary pointed out today too, like the you know financial people just kept one-upping each other as far as lower and lower and lower expectations. And we just got way off the rails with where we thought this would be. So I think the market correction here was mostly that. Um, speaking to 4682, I think that the fact that they said that we're not really up and running on this here and the market didn't react means that they don't know, understand, or care much about 4680s at this point Preach. and don't see Preach. what's to come in the future. <laughs> you know, I think that um, they just really don't get it. So all they care is, you know, if Tesla's pumping out uh, hundreds of thousands of cars with 2170s, they don't, it's just not going to matter to them. Now, I think eventually the market will be surprised at, at what a big deal 4680 becomes, but I don't think they're too worried about it now um, or anything else. Like, where's the Cybertruck? Where's the semi-truck? Like, all these things just don't matter at this point. Um, so I think that's what we saw today. Will it stick? I think it's all macros. I mean, it's just going to be, if if the mark, we get some new news, bearish news on the market, I will probably give some of that up. But um, I'm with I'm with Warren and a lot of the people in here, uh, value analysts, I... I uh, I think really long-term on Tesla, and I think this is just all noise at this point. And if you just think about the fundamentals and the fact that they made it through this Q2 as well as they did, um, given uh, shutdown in China and um, all these uh, headwinds with supply chain, that this was the bad, I was <laughs> tweeting about this, this was the bad quarter, right? This is the bad one. Yeah. And I, I would assume three and four, they're always better anyway, but I think it'll be even a little more exaggerated this year since two was was so abysmal and for different reasons. Um, so I'm, Earl, I'm expecting I, a good solid end of the year. Earl, I started my video with that tweet of yours. Remember this oh, you bad quarter. <laughs> Remember this <laughs> bad quarter. But, you know, <laughs> and I get what you guys are saying about the fact that it's long-term. I'm a long-term person as well. But there is such a thing as momentum. Okay, we got through a really bad quarter with all of these, what did they call it? What did Elon call it, right? Force majeure. Force majeure. Now we we got past Q2. We showed that even in a bad hard quarter, we were able to still get uh, operating margins, uh, you know, incredible, and the, the the factories are moving along. Now I want to get um, Alexandra up here because what happens if investment grade credit rating happens? What happens when stock split happens next month? Is this a momentum building kind of move that shifts everybody up again? So. Uh, if somehow I can't bring Alexandra up, but it'd be great if we can have her up here soon. Well, while you're waiting for her, one other thing I want to mention is during the questions, Drew said that they made a major advance in dry battery electrode at Cato Road. And I don't think a lot of people picked up on that. Something 
big happened in the engineering of the 4680 dry battery electrode that, uh, you know, that's probably why Cato Road is increasing 35% a, a, a month now. But, but yeah. no, I just want to say something real quick, too. Um, to, not to Warren's part, but overall, I've heard a couple people in the room. I just want to take a little bit of a, a, a different tact and maybe kind of disagree and go the other way. I think Tesla, even though we're in a tough macro, I think today they outperformed literally 10x the S&P. Mm -hmm. I think Wall Street is waking up to the fact that the only mega cap tech stock in the world that is growing 50% plus and earnings, we don't know, you know, 50% plus revenues, 50% plus is Tesla. Google's not doing it. Apple's not doing it. They're flat and they're nowhere. I think investors are waking up to the to the fact, and I think Q2 made them w wake up to it, that in the back half, as we do records in Q3 and 4, that this this is the company to own and money will flow to Tesla because investors crave growth. And the only where and the only place to get growth in mega cat tech is Tesla. So I think this will last. And uh, I'm putting myself out there a little bit, but I think we, the rally continues. Of course, there'll be little bumps in the road, but I think we're going to have a strong stock performance. Okay. Okay. So um, Alexander is now up and I've been excited for you to come join us. She's known as Tesla Boomer Mama on Tesla on uh, <laughs> Twitter. She's in, she's somebody you need to follow because she's basically the only person in the Twitter community, Tesla community that actually worked for S&P and she has great um, uh, charts that she follows. So you put out a pretty bold, very bold prediction. And you said, um, you stood up and you said that investment grade credit rating for Tesla will happen in August, two to three weeks. Since you worked there before, tell us why you're saying this. Okay, well, thank you, Herbert. Now, this is the first time. Do, do you hear me? I have no yes. clue how this technology works. Okay, perfect. And I'm in the car. I'm in the X. So I, I hope this all. Thank you. Thank you, Warren. Actually, thanks to you, Warren. Remember, you, you, repaired, you repaired my phone. There you go. So anyway, so um, yes, I didn't work for S&P. I worked for Moody's. Uh, and it's been a while. But the one thing I still remember very vividly, whenever we tried to rate somebody we didn't want to be so publicly exposed, we we had two periods per year where we could sneak those ratings in where you know no media was really watching and that was one between christmas and new year and the other one was beginning of august and i've had this theory for quite a while now that uh i mean they're so late in uh, in rating tesla you probably have followed my graphs the last two trimesters the two quarters where i uh, published how bad the situation is for so many other people that are still investment grade rated for in the top 20 companies in the world and also for automakers, but how uh, inconsistent all their ratios are for, for Tesla, where all the signs are on green, yet they're still speculative grade. So, um, so we all know they're late. And so my theory is they're going to try to do it at the moment when it's uh, as little seen as possible, which is between now and mid of August, just because the Europeans are on vacation the big pension fund managers on vacation because they're just so old school and the way they function. Uh, and so I'm quite positive that the, the, the Q2 results were still good enough to hold uh, all the theories they put out. So Moody's had the theory they wanted to see Austin and Berlin starting to ramp up. And uh, S&P had the theory that we had to have 18% automotive margins for quite a couple of quarters before they could give it. So all this is done now. 
And um, and so I think they'll sneak it in the next three, four weeks, yes. So, Alexandra, what's the percentage of increase to Tesla stock and why is it important to oh, get investment grade credit? I, I wish... Well, I wish I wish I'd know know what it would happen to the stock, but I'm actually very bullish. I mean, I think it should today be by far over a thousand dollars already. So I don't even understand why where we're still in in the region we are now. Uh, but do I know whether the investment grade will bring an immediate um, pull to the stock? I don't know. I have no clue. I don't have a crystal ball. But uh, it is one of the catalysts that will help because that would mean that pension funds for their year-end portfolios need to have some. And so I think the last group that's really missing still in the institutional world is the pension funds. And they have still these old rules that they need credit ratings to um, credit ratings in the investment grade um, field to, to be able to invest. And they have to publish end of year uh, their results. So I'm talking about pension funds for the teachers and for the state employees and whatever. I'm not talking about 401ks. But, but really very specific groups. And uh, and I think there's a lot of potential still there. So do I do I have a means of quantifying what, what that would mean? No, I don't, because it's not like the S&P 500 where we knew how many funds were indexed. But I do believe it can really bring a good pull at the right moment where I think fundamentals are better anyway. The market is going to get better. Um, I do believe in general the market has seen the worst. and uh, and And this comes at the right moment. Yeah, so, you know, uh, Gary Black gave it a 50-50 chance. He said that it's going to be uh, investment-grade credit rating will happen in August. You called it. So if it happens, Alexander, you're the only person. We're going we're gonna to have to thank you. But I do think that with investment-grade credit rating and stock split happening next month, come on, guys, aren't you guys excited? Don't you guys think yeah. that this will show momentum? And with the outlook for Q3, Q4, and everybody's so excited... And then forget the Tesla bot on September 30th. I can't believe I said that, Robert. Sorry. So I'm, I'm, I'm more excited about whatever they might reveal at the shareholder event and what they might reveal at the... AI well, tell me, what, what do you expect in the shareholder event? Do they typically, in a shareholder event, do uh, some reveal? No, but they they called this one Cyber Roundup, which suggests they're gonna there's going to be something more. I mean, I don't know what more. I mean, maybe it's... At some point, they got to reveal the details about Cybertruck. And at some Master point, they got to reveal... At some point, they got to reveal details about the robo taxi model that they just indicated they're now that's now in development. At some point, they've got to reveal what's going on with new factories. Um, it could be that they're going to say, "Okay, we're announcing three new factories." You know, that, that there's there's all kinds of things that could come, and I, I just my expectation is something will be announced at the shareholder meeting, and then we know that some big stuff's going to be at AI Day too. And I'm much more excited for that because that's long-term stuff not short-term stuff hey jose jose is uh an employee at tesla we met at cyber rodeo how are you doing do you have a comment or question hey i'm doing great yeah yes. no um, unfortunately i didn't get to listen yesterday as i was uh busy with customers but <laughs> um so i'm gonna stick back on this one and listen to all these great speakers but just wanted to say hi um and i'm looking forward to hearing everyone speak here today what's it like working at tesla are you enjoying it Oh, yeah. No, I'm still loving it um, right now. In fact, so when I first uh, was hired by Tesla, I was just a gallery advisor. And then from there, um, Tesla started to realize that, hey, yeah, of course, cars will be able to sell. But um, the thing is, services will need to work. So right now they're trying to at least um, some they're playing around with some stores and they're trying to 
combined gallery and service to be more of a one combined uh, body. Um, so right now they're trying to switch us over to service. So I'm also working in front of house. So there's a lot of movement happening internal wise between service and gallery right now. So, yeah. Great. Thank you, Josh. Uh, Robert, uh, we talked about uh, FS, uh, September 30th robots. Is, is what they show there going to move the stock or nothing? I think it's more generally what they're going to show with AI overall. The robot, yeah, everybody wants to know what the hell is going on with that. And if they can sell it as part of the robo-taxi, I think that'll help investors. Because there's that's where I see it fitting really strongly, is the delivery of all sorts of stuff in the robo-taxi world. Um, manufacturing, they got that down pretty well. So where does a humanoid robot fit in manufacturing in their factories? Maybe here and there. But most of that, what what can be automated is pretty automated, and I'm I'm not seeing a short term impact of a robot on that. Um, AI, I'm I'm like, whoa! If if it's more advanced than we're expecting, now I'm calling my friends up, going, okay, what what's coming? Are they really going to walk us around the simulator and show off, you know, uh, neural radiance fields, for instance, which we haven't yet seen in the uh, simulator. I would expect that. I'd expect. I. It, what are neural radiance fields? This is something that Apple will make a big deal of next year. Neural radiance fields takes images or video off of 2D cameras and converts it to a 3D scene in AI. And um, Apple is coming out with a viewer for this next year. Um, the Tesla se uh, simulator could present itself that way. If you're inside the simulator, right, walking around with a VR headset, it should be fairly mind-blowing at this point. So that's what I'm hoping we see. And I, <laughs> I can see a raft of little things they could ship into the um, into our Tesla apps on our phones to do all sorts of stuff. Like, could they give you a virtual robot that would walk around your real house? That's possible on an iPhone today, right? Yeah, well, I'm hoping there's going to be momentum. Investment grade credit rating, stock split. Yeah. Uh, the uh, shareholder meeting, maybe they do the uh, master plan part three. And then, of course, wow us on September 30th. One hint to look at is look at the competition, right? NVIDIA has this thing called Omniverse. And Omniverse runs robots, runs autonomous cars, runs augmented reality glasses, um, and runs virtual beings that are going to be in these 3D scenes soon. It runs it all. That's their corporate strategy is this Omniverse. The Omniverse uh, joins the GPU or the AI capabilities of the NVIDIA cloud with neural radiance fields. And that's very powerful. It's That one data set is going to suck in data from all of these end use cases, like your robots, your autonomous car, or your autonomous your ar glasses right and it seems like tesla's building the same so tesla and nvidia are going to go to war soon yeah uh, did you... tesla. <laughs> i also think we need a new director announced before then or at ai day andre capacity leaving they seem to have done a good job of managing that everybody okay with the way that they said hey yeah. it's not really gonna impact anything yeah, and yesterday he he talked to, about him in a warm tone, so it didn't seem like it was a 
you know, a firing or anything like that. It was just a legit, you know, Carpathy's done with what he was doing and he wants to go into more academic stuff, which makes sense. The AI I'm seeing coming out of academia right now is unbelievable. I, you know, my wife and I have been doing conferences for back in the 90s for programmers and you just didn't see this kind of innovation coming out of the tech industry. What'd you think, Warren? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much the same. I mean, I, I actually predicted that Carp I think Carpathy's gonna end up uh making a deal with some university and he's gonna get his own AI lab and they're gonna pay him a million dollars a year and maybe Elon will chip in some funding for his new you know, but it's sort of like a bidding war now for universities who's gonna get Carpathy to be in the join their university because he's gonna draw students and he's gonna draw great research grants. Okay. Uh, just jumping around topics while we have Alexandra here, you follow the ETFs quite a, quite a bit. Are you seeing an increased um, inclusion of Tesla or do you expect an increased inclusion of Tesla in, in, in the near future? Well, um, at the moment, not. It's actually uh, uh, this morning I was outraged because ARC is still about 240 million, I think it was, below the 10% benchmark, which I found it was horrendous. I mean, obviously in a fund you have to understand when some other stock moves, like Bitcoin moved, Zoom moved upwards and Roku. So then you potentially gain more space for more Tesla, but they don't buy. So that's how why it's so much at the moment. Um, um, Gary has it close to 11.5% now, which is the most in the pack. Um, we have done a study last week. Only about 10% of actively managed ETFs uh, hold even Tesla. So we're now looking out whether some start holding them again. I mean, 90% of those funds that could hold Tesla don't. Now, obviously, not all of them have a theme that is good enough or that is appropriate to hold Tesla. If, they, if they're supposed to invest in Korea, they won't, they won't hold a Tesla. But there is lots of upside buying potential in the ETFs, in the in the actively managed uh, equity ETFs. Loads. Okay. If, if anybody's in the audience, you want to ask a question, raise your hand. In the meantime, let's go down to speakers here and ask the question, something like, you know, what did you, what are you excited for starting today until the end of the year? And if you're a bit of a long-term uh, view person, what are, what is it that you are following closely uh, in the next few months. So Chuck, let's start with you. Well, I'm an easy one. I'm excited for the 1013 release to get out there and drive it. Uh, I don't know if you followed me on Twitter this week, we did get some pictures of ADAS drivers with Texas manufacturer plates actually doing the turn. What, what did you do? Did you ask your daughter, your, your children and your, your wife to stand out there? And <laughs> Well, it was actually just a random encounter and my son was driving my wife back from the airport <laughs> and he goes, there it is. And they followed him. And then they got close enough. They saw the Wawa sticker on the back and then they took pictures and then the license plate and it was a black model X. And then obviously when you zoomed in and you see Texas manufacturer, you know, driving in a rural neighborhood in Jacksonville, Florida, it kind of is pretty obvious at that point. So I wasn't there, but we, you know, we got some pictures and I, I'd seen them before. So it was just good to get some proof out there. So this is uh, a Tesla and, AI testing team that's trying out your left turn and trying to prove the 10.13 FSD bid is going to be able to do it well, before they release it white. Similar to that. So they have a group of ADS drivers all over the country. You know, the, the team is growing. And these cars, the developer cars is what they're called, have a special software on them that allow them to uh, specifically annotate and collect data in a way that's much more detailed than just a regular car does. 
They have uh, hard drives attached to their systems. They extract the drives. And I truly believe that they actually do some drives uh, in the correct way and label them as this is what it should do, which is not what we get to do as FSD beta testers. In addition, there's, the, you know, in a post flight, like after they drive, they have several hours worth of labor to go review the video they did before they send it back to the team. So effectively, they're doing hyper data collection um, with more detailed labeling than can be achieved through the fleet. Okay, thank you. Um, Brian, my test of the weekend. Uh, so I'm thinking the biggest excitement for the rest of the year is going to be a ramp, but that's a foregone conclusion. The earlier discussion, we were saying how uh, the ETFs are going to be waking up to the fact that this is a big stock that they don't have yet, and that could drive the up. But to me, the biggest excitement is AI Day 2. These are recruiting events, and Tesla already has the smartest people on the market in every category, and it makes them unstoppable. You could easily say that, oh, well, if, if I had 26% margins uh, and billions in profit, I could also attract the best people. Yeah, but you don't. And so they've got the perfect storm for getting the best people. And that's what excites me the most. Nice. It, it's the data that matters to these people. It's the data set. And each car is uploading 25 gigabytes per day right now if you have the FSD beta. Okay. Josh, sorry kicking you down. Had to bring Alexandra up. Go ahead and please answer that question if you can. <laughs> Uh, thanks for all the previous. They gave me a little bit of time to to think. I actually am most excited for beginning of January when the Q4 results are out. Yeah. I mean, I think all the people here are aware of what's happening, but most of the people out there are not. And I think Q4 is going to be the wake up call for the rest of the market. I agree. Yeah, I, I, uh, it's interesting. I think my, uh, my things I'm excited for might be considered bearish. Uh, but, um, I'm most excited for in the future, more like long term future, like Tesla trying to like acquire a lithium company. Um, you know, from the research I've done, really, they are going to struggle come sort of 2024, 2025 mm -hmm. with supply. And they need to really, really secure like an insane amount of lithium. And the, the lithium industry is not going to be able to respond to the EV growth that you'll see, uh, you know, over the next, you know, um, you know, 10 years. So the, the, it's going to be supply constrained by lithium um, and there will be growth. It just won't be as, as big growth. Uh, you, you're the thinking industry. they're going to buy and lithium because he was very clear. He was going begging startups to do it and they're yeah. not going to do this. Yeah. I mean, the, th the problem is, is like, there's a, there's a whole host of problems in in the sort of lithium industry. Like the biggest one is like it just takes way too long to bring mines online. Um, mm -hmm. And 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 I was a little like disappointed with his comments. You know when he said it was just you know the mining's the easy part. Like well no it isn't for a whole host of reasons. Uh, you know legal uh, permitting um, and and a host of others that just means that some mines take ten years to come online. Um, and so really the only way that they're going to win this game of musical chairs with other companies, with other OEMs, is to outright buy or, or create major stakes in, in lithium companies like Albemarle um, and, and some others. So I, I would be excited for them to do that. He said they will stop at nothing to solve this issue. Um, Drew Baglino has been talking about lithium uh, at a recent um, talk he did at Stanford. Um, and, and they've said they'll do whatever it takes. So I'm most excited uh, about them acquiring eventually a lithium company because the spice must flow. How's anything you said bearish? Well, can I just chip in on that? Well, he's yeah, saying there's a limit on lithium. Okay, go ahead, Warren. 
No, so Drew, I, I saw that talk that Drew did at Stanford, and he was talking about the challenge of mining various minerals, and I think lithium was high on his list. But then at the Q2 call that we just had, they shifted to refining, like which makes me think they may have solved the getting the lithium problem out and mining problem, but they haven't solved the refining problem yet. And Drew specifically said they had a team working on refining lithium that if other people don't figure it out, we will. Yeah, I mean, I've seen them talk a lot about the refining step, and, and obviously that seems to be a focus for them. Um, you know, all the research I've done, which has been extensive, actually, I did a good talk with Emmett and uh, Matt uh, recently in Jordan about this, and I, I urge people to go look at it on the Good Soil channel, but um, is is just that, like, the industry has not, is not prepared to respond to the, the shift in EVs. Like, you know, you can build a battery plant in two years. You, 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 a mine will take sometimes 10 years to come online. Um, and yes, you know, lithium is very abundant in the crust, but it's not abundant in in such con concentrated quantities in certain areas to be economically viable everywhere. So, um, you know, there's a whole host of issues there. And basically, we need to make sure that we win this game. And I'm very confident that, you know, Drew um, and and Elon will, will win this game. Um, so that's why I'm excited about, you know, them actually acquiring something eventually uh, or, go, or getting more aggressive. Drew, Drew made a really interesting point in that Stanford talk that the entire EAV industry, a lot of the supply chain is built on stuff that was originally made for something else or as, an, as a byproduct of some other thing that's being done. So like nobody's like mining graphite specifically for the EV battery industry. No, nobody's mining. So, you know, he's saying we need to shift how the supply chain starts so that we're not just getting the byproduct of somebody else's thing. It's got to be produced for us. Um, and, and that's going to be, you know, that's the kind of thing that they're talking about. That, that's yeah. going to be a master plan. Part three is yeah. shifting the supply chain to purposefully developing supply for EVs rather than relying on stuff that was supplied for something else and whatever. Yeah, exactly. That's totally exciting. And that's the exciting bit for me is that they are actually now thinking about it. Like, you know, when it was like battery day and I was saying to Elon, hey, this bus must flow, it, it felt like they were kind of poo-pooing it a bit. And they were like, you know, look, we had good calls with, with the miners and they'll go and make the investment. Um, but their tone has shifted massively. Like you said, they're actually talking about getting involved. They're actually talking about potentially writing checks um, to actually fund some of the mines. Um, and th and that's the exciting part to me is that they're like being they're playing their hand more now. I think back then they might have been like being negotiators and you know some big long term contracts were coming up. So uh, I know that Albemarle CEO and some others were were sitting in the audience with us. Um, but yes, it's exciting to see them actually like tip their hand and say, "Hey, we need to get involved in this now." Nice. Okay. Thank you, Josh. Uh, Christian. Yeah, to me, it's real simple from, from a stock perspective. This has now become a profit machine. This is a profit story now, and I'm most excited for the ramps to see the record deliveries come through in three and four into 23, to see the operating leverage kick in and to see what Tesla can do and to show Wall Street and all the cynics how much money this company can generate. So that's what I'm most excited about is to see the operating leverage kick in and profits just go to the bottom line and just explode and just real simple high level. If they can do that next year, say two point, even if they just did 50 percent, 2.3 million vehicles with, you know, with 18, you know, with 18 percent operating margin, that's 20 to 25 billion dollars in net income. You put a simple 70 multiple on that, which is very reasonable for a, for a, a company growing 70 percent 
plus possibly on EPS. That's a fourteen to sixteen hundred dollars stock, a nice double. So that's what I'm most excited about: turning this into a profit machine. Exactly. If earnings continue to rise, price for earnings, the price of the stock need to follow. Right. That's pretty simple. Love it, uh, Earl. Sorry, I wasn't paying attention. What's the question? <laughs> uh, what is what are you excited about in the upcoming six months fall of the year? Oh, yeah, the upcoming six months. I, I would love to see some really solid ongoing FSD beta progress, um, expanding that to more people. And hopefully if uh, the Cybertruck is going to be made within the next year or so to see some of those out testing on the roads. I think that would be super exciting. It's pretty much all I care about right now. But yeah, as far as uh, so. uh, executing, yeah. I mean, as they ramp up um, Berlin and Texas, I mean, uh, they're they're just going to totally kick ass for the rest of the year. So just excited for that ongoing process. That's all. Absolutely. Okay. Warren? Oh, I think I've already said I'm excited about... Uh, what, what what new things we're going to learn. But actually, I want, if, you, if you don't mind, I wanted to ask a couple of questions. Yeah. One for Robert. Robert, do you have a ballpark guess of what Cybertruck's going to weigh? And my other question Ooh. is why people think that uh, Tesla was concerned about liquidity when they have $18 billion in cash. So, Robert, what do you think Cybertruck's going to weigh? I don't know the weight, sorry. But I would say it's going to be lighter than the Ford because of the casting and the battery pack. If you're watching a Monroe uh, tear apart the... 4680 battery it's lighter than the competition by half so so then my other question is why do people think that tesla sold bitcoin they said because they were concerned about liquidity why would a company with so much cash and so much positive cash flow be concerned about liquidity i could answer that warren i could answer that if they didn't sell their bitcoin three quarters of it that the quarter would have been a disaster they would have had to write all that down if they didn't sell it at the carrying cost of around twenty nine to thirty thousand, they would have had to write all the Bitcoin down. It would have killed their operating margins and it would have made all the earnings look terrible. So but that's not, that's not liquidity. So you're saying you're saying when they said liquidity, that was not true. Co correct. They had to sell that Bitcoin because the quarter would have been a disaster. If they would have left it on the books, they would have wrote all that down. And the op they, it was management did a genius move there. I'm telling you, Warren, you, you as a long term investor, I know you might not care. But guess what? If they would have let that stand and they wrote down all that Bitcoin billions plus, they would have took operating hits, operating margins, because it would have gone right on the bottom line and all the earnings would have been compressed down and they would not have looked as good as it did. So that was a genius move. And you're, I think he used that as a story because why would they don't need money? They have, you know, 18 billion in cash. So I think they said that because they wanted to make the quarter not for the cash flows to make the margins look good because Wall Street could have ran with the story. The margins are decompressing and to make the earnings come through. That's what okay. I believe. OK, so does anybody think that it was a liquidity issue and why? I, I just want to mm -hmm. say that I, I can't remember in the multiple quarters that I've been following Tesla where they would have cared so much about one quarter's earnings to make a decision like that. I, I don't think they were doing it about Wall Street or to make the numbers look good. I mean, I think they decided they wanted to get out of that position and could have been for a variety of reasons, but I, I don't think they were just sprucing up this quarter's numbers. I, I, I don't believe that. Also, they sold it. They That's all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> I think they should have bought the dip, but yeah. 
<laughs> but guys, look, Bitcoin's cool. I get it. But but listen, they're running a business. They're not yeah. running a Bitcoin day trading service. If they have a great quarter and employees are working really hard and they put up great EPS earnings, you got to remember it's Wall Street and, and they have stock investors and, it, you know, they have a duty to the shareholders. If they have all this Bitcoin and Bitcoin decides to take a, a crap and they have to write down billions of dollars after making billions in profit and they have no profit because they got to write down their Bitcoin holdings, that's not good. Yeah. That is not what would, they're there would, for. They're there to make cars. I, I disagree. I would challenge you to look at any comments that Elon has made over the years about Wall Street stock movements and any of that stuff. He doesn't care. And he hasn't changed. I, I don't believe that at all. Earl, I love you. But on the call, he said, what did he say? He said, we are not a Bitcoin company. I'm ne neither here nor there. And he said, we are going to focus on sustainable energy. That's what he said. He made it clear that Bitcoin was going to the side and they were going to focus on the business. Yeah. I, by the way, I think there was only, I think they only bought 1.3 billion in Bitcoin in the first place. So they couldn't lose billions on Bitcoin. They didn't buy billions. I'm not sure I have the number right. But I, I, for some reason, I think it was 1.3 billion. But Warren, on a, originally they had a billion and a half position. If Bitcoin goes down 70, 75%, which I think it got close to, a billion and a half down, they could lose, they would have to write down over a billion dollars on that position. Right, but it's not billions. You were saying it's billions. Just, sorry, I'm going to ask. Look, it's just I, I'm not trying to argue the way you have, have to report. Obviously, it, we not, have a, a Bitcoin crowd here. I, I like to focus on the business. I think Bitcoin, like Elon said, is a sideshow. Why not focus on the business? So it sounds like I mean, nobody I thought it was a liquidity. Nobody believes. Nobody believes the liquidity. Story. No, I do not. <laughs> no, I think that the the liquidity story could be explained by if they thought the Shanghai lockdown was going to go a lot longer. They if cash. they thought it was going to really become a big issue that was going to you know hold things down and you know tie up the factory for six months or something like that, Warren, then they Warren, might need the cash. Warren, I'll throw the argument back at you. They had 18 billion in cash mm -hmm. and they had a little over a billion of Bitcoin. What's a billion dollars when you already have 18 billion? Mm -hmm. He had to make the quarter. I don't know why this is so difficult. The, the mark, do you understand when they would have wrote down the Bitcoin at 17,000 because that was the low level, the operating margins on the second quarter, since this is a second quarter earnings uh, topic, that would have destroyed their operating margin. And earned I'm not saying you're down. wrong. I'm just saying, taking a stab at it, the only explanation I can think of is they were worried that Shanghai was going to be a much bigger yeah. problem than it was. I agree. And I love everyone in the room and we're kind of off topic. I'm just passionate about focusing on the business. I think Bitcoin sometimes gets too much attention than what it needs. So Tesla is doing so many great things. And for us to worry about a Bitcoin price is immaterial to the to the future of Tesla. Okay, then one other thing I want to say, Herb, Herbert, in response to your question is the one the biggest thing I'm excited about is at some the biggest things I'm excited about at some point we're going to get a reveal of the final version of Cybertruck. And at some point we're going to get information on new yes. factories. Like when are they going to start building the supposedly going to build a second factory in Shanghai? When are they going to start building that? Um, are they going to be building uh, new factories in Kansas and South Korea and Osaka? You know, in order to do all the things that they're talking about, they need to build more factories. So when are they going to reveal these are our new factory locations? This is and this is this is what Cybertruck's going to be. When are they going to reveal the robo taxi design? Those are all big things I'm looking forward to.
Yasmin, welcome, value analyst. Please join us. Hi, how are you? Good. Um, just wanted to say I agree that the um, that Elon doesn't really care about quarterly results or making the quarter or anything of that sort. Um, my alternate um, explanation for why they sold Bitcoin is because it was getting to their cost level, and they didn't want to deal with headlines of um, um, you know they lost money in Bitcoin trading Bitcoin. I think um, I was really happy to see uh, him talk about how they need to focus on mission. I think that's very important. And I couldn't be more excited about Tesla's uh, next couple of years. Um, I think things are looking really good. On the microeconomics front, uh, Tesla's doing phenomenal. Um, they're executing on everything. I wish the battery production was ramped up a little quicker, but you know, um, I think they're doing everything they can on that front. Uh, macroeconomics is a bit shaky, continues to be shaky. Um, inflation has peaked, but you know we'll see how fast it comes down. So the divergence between microeconomics and macroeconomics is greatest it's been since 2019, and arguably uh, even greater than it was in 2019. And I'm very focused on microeconomics. Macroeconomics is a bit of a distraction, but we have to deal with it mm -hmm. um, just because, you know, they they impact all stock prices. If the stock market goes down, Tesla goes down. Uh, so if you're betting short-term um, call options, riding call options, anything of that sort, um, you know, cautions advised. But microeconomics company execution just could not be better right now. How come you sound so reasonable, but in your Twitter, wait, wait, you're like 3X. Wait, wait, wait. is Tesla going to triple in 2022? Right. The year is not over. And um, <laughs> Love you. a lot of people. And is petrol going, is petrol going to 200? <laughs> you know, like all, all of these are possibilities. Um, I wouldn't sell. I, would, I want my coffee now. Yeah, you owe her a coffee. I wouldn't, I wouldn't sell Tesla right now, obviously. And I never shorted Tesla. I never sold Tesla. I never um, bought puts on Tesla. I never had my position. And I don't plan on doing that. I think that those those steps are for short-term traders. Um, I wouldn't bet against Elon in the short-term or long-term. Um, yeah. This is the guy that bet the house on Tesla. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, bet the house on Tesla. And if I could if I could do it again, like if I had to do it again, I would do it again right now. I think now is the time yeah, to do yeah, it again. Sure. Um, now, having said that, when I did it at the end of 2018. Uh, Bet the house. You've heard it here first, everybody. Well, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> when, I, um, when I did that at the end of 2018, um, I got caught in macroeconomics and Tesla had after I did that. And that was incredibly difficult sure. psychologically. And plus, when I did that, I was single, no kids. If you have any dependents, obviously don't do anything of that sort. Um, but, you know, I don't see, like, at a minimum, I don't see why. Well, maybe I shouldn't say this. Okay. That's where I'm going to stop. So this yeah. is why I don't do no, no, these speaking things. I think. No, no, no. You're <laughs> awesome. Love, loved hearing from you because, yeah, you sound much more reasonable here. But, you know, remember, everybody, Earl is a psychologist. He's not a financial analyst. So do not take his advice. <laughs> no one take Earl's advice. I want to hear what Earl thinks. I want to hear what Earl thinks of everybody's personalities. 
Earl, he wants to know what you think of everybody's personalities. But uh, I, I made a joke today that I said, I think Earl's actually a patient. He's not a doctor. And he thinks that he's a doctor. <laughs> no, I think I'm a dog. That's <laughs> uh, Ash, Ash, did you have um, excitement for the next six months? I'm so excited for AI Day Part 2. I want to see a Tesla bot do something, anything. It could just be sitting on a chair waving. I'd be happy. Sitting on a chair waving. Okay. Last comments by anybody? Like We can uh, close down this call. I We've had, been here for I an hour. I'm sorry. I have a question. Go ahead, go oh, ahead. and I have, I have a first, uh, first something to ask you. I pinned my comment that I'm going to do daily now to Moody's and S&P because I just yes. want to make sure they do this. So if you could all help me and quote tweet my yes. pinned quote, always yes. putting Moody's and S&P in your quote feed so they get it from all sides as much, as much as possible. And since you all have a lot of followers, that would really help me. So I'd be really appreciating that. Yeah. So this is her pushing, uh, putting pressure on Moody's and S&P to get, go ahead and give investment grade writing reading to us. And every single day, she's going to basically point out that they, they should already be doing this. And so we should all be like retweeting this. Thanks, Alexandra. Exactly. Anybody and else? actually, quote, quote, quote tweeting would be better and retagging them so that they every time get a new message about it. Ah, you know, Wait, you're are, we, are we quote tweeting your pin tweet or are we quote tweeting the tweet that's within it? Well, you're quote tweeting the pin, the pin tweet and and uh, and you're re retagging Moody's and S&P in it, please. OK. And gotcha. also, if you have any journalists, you know, or whatever, I mean, anybody that you can tag in there would be good we just as much as possible pressure on them because one thing they hate i put the names of the analysts that are in charge of moody's in there and i mean i've been there <laughs> long enough that. they hate that so that's why i really want these to go around now no i can definitely pester them <laughs> okay no so problem. there was a question sorry i i interrupted somebody who had a question no no we're it's open open questions a final yeah, question before a, we I close a question for alexandra yeah um, so this, I, I've been following the credit situation for a couple of years, and I've been as frustrated, frustrated as you are about why Tesla, being one of the five biggest companies in the world, still does not invest in grade, makes no sense whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So I talked to a lot of bond investors why this might be the case. And mm -hmm. one feedback I got that I want to run it by you is that Tesla, Tesla's financials improved so fast that Although the last couple of quarters or last, um, I guess, last few quarters look good, investment grade worthy, they don't really have the few years of history of, um, you know, gap profitability. And on top of that, um, we don't yet have volume production around the world. So I guess that's one of the factors. It sounds like some factors are financial, but some factors are non-financial. Mm. And having worked in movies, what do you think? Well, I mean, I think I explained it very good in that last long video I did on ESG because it's a bit the same the same source when you do a, a credit rating than what they're trying to do now with their ESG ratings. Meaning for a long time in your analysis, you have uh, quite hard factors, ratios and whatever. In all the ratios, even though it may not be now eight trimesters in a row, but I mean, they're, they're so substantially stronger that the shorter duration is outweighed by the strength of the ratio. 
But then you always have at the end a rating committee where you sit and there is an executive, there's a, a certain rule who has to sit in those rating committees. Um, you know, it has to be the analyst uh, plus the assistant of the analyst that worked with on, on, on that file, plus another analyst that has to be in the same industry plus an executive. So the executive could be somebody that is doing corporate ratings, but it could also be just because nobody's around everybody's on vacation. It could be an executive of, a, of another branch of the marketing department or whatever, but there has to be an executive to, to decide that. And, um, and, and I just believe that they were able to drag it out a long, long time because there is then the soft element. So in that rating committee, the analyst brings forward all the, the hard facts. And then there is this um, stakeholder analysis, media analysis. How do we feel about it? Holding hand moment. Um, and and I'm, I'm just so utterly convinced that whenever you get to that moment, being it in a rating agency, being it in other um, moments where Tesla should be favored or at least seen neutral, that it is currently still seen uh, negatively just because they don't like the noise. They don't like the way the, the, the stock behaves. They don't like the way Elon behaves. They don't like the competition to old polls they have in industry. And so um, as long as we don't put more pressure to them, and that was exactly the same situation, by the way, when we wanted it to be included in the S&P 500 index. Remember, it was also at least one quarter too late, right? They have these rules and then nothing happened despite the rules and we had to wait a quarter more. Um, so I do believe the only way of getting them, getting over their subjective little moment where they still think they can influence it is by putting pressure on them. Perfect. Got it, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Alexandra. So I'm bullish. I think that uh, we're going to see in, uh, investment grade credit rating, according to Alexandra. Are you going to buy all of us as speakers a coffee if it doesn't happen in August? <laughs> Not to Yaman. No, no, no. Everybody Not else, Yaman. yes. Yaman <laughs> owes you. Yeah, he does. Um, and there'll be a stock know, split. No, 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 no. Technically, I, the bet is not over yet. Well, you will pay me that coffee. You will pay me that coffee. No I was way. watching over this, Yaman. You owe her. Okay, and then there's a stock split happening August 4th to August 22nd. And then there's going to be all these big news coming out December uh, during the uh, stockholders meeting and then maybe September 30th. So let's cross our fingers that it's all going to start looking positive again. We'll see what happens. All right, everybody. Thank you very much for joining. We had some really good speakers today. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night.